The Zeta Beam struck us and we flew through space at breakneck speed. When we touched down on Ran, Alana hurried towards us, saying that Adam was expecting our arrival. Unsurprisingly, he needed our help. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. We got a lot to get through today. This is, you literally this is have, ch- like, an omnibus. Yeah, I, did, I had to buy an omnibus for this. Um, so we're going to start at February 1962, and we're going to end in December 1963. Um, but these are all Adam Strange comics written by Gardner Fox and drawn by Carmine Infantino. And I promise, Joanne, I'm going to try very, very hard to, to not make this go very long. But it's a lot. And these are also pretty long stories relatively like yeah. these are the 14 pages thereabouts usually yeah, some I've, of them are full I've, length too yeah they're a hard read to get through in a short amount of time um mm-hmm. not because they're so long it's their dense reading yeah but i have done my best to shorten these down to either one sentence or two to three uh where need be and we'll see how that goes and uh we'll go from there but we're going to start with Mystery in Space, number 73, February 1962. Um, an energy creature tries to take over Ran using an army of invisible minions. And when I say invisible minions, I mean what look like people in safari gear and pith hats, but like there's no people inside of them. So like the invisible man wearing clothes invading Ran. And um, Adam Strange finds that this is an energy creature controlling these fake invisible people and I think kills it question mark by paralyzing it on earth. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a speculative body count. This was the most definitive way that he destroyed something without saying like it may come back at some point. We definitely get some body count and surprising amounts of it went there. I think is a way to put it. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely moments in which, Adam and Alana explain away some things that seem incredibly uh, final with how they deal with some of these villains. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one was the most egregious, like, I'm pretty sure you just killed that thing. And it was just startling because Adam hasn't had a lot of kills under his belt going from Earth to Ran. Um, and for those of you who I don't know why you would be, but you might be just joining us. Adam Strange is a character who transports to a a planet 25 trillion light years away from Earth called Ran, where his girlfriend lives, um, using Zeta beams, which are random beams of energy that teleport him to the planet. And then when the energy radiation wears off, he gets teleported back to Earth. Adam Strange. Uh, I think John Carter of Mars, but he's unable to decide when he goes to Mars. Uh, We're going to move to the mystery in space, number 74, March 1962. A criminal who looks like Adam tricks Adam Strange and Alana into helping him, but really it's a play to remove Adam Strange so that bad guys can invade Ran. Adam then um, conquers them, beats them, sends them off. But because he got to Ran in the situation via ship, due to the fact that the Zeta Beam technology wore off and he used the bad guys ship to get back to ran from earth he can now stay on ran forever maybe (laughs) mystery in space number 75 may 1962 this is actually kind of the most important issue in all of these issues that we read right now number 75 is is an out of context 
sort of weird timeline moment in the DC universe where remember in Justice League when they were before they uh, accepted Green Arrow as their new member, they were like, let's put in Hawkman or Adam Strange. This is the story that gets them to know who Adam Strange is. So it puts the Adam Strange timeline very weirdly out of sync with the rest of the Justice League timeline for some reason. Meaning that Adam Strange comics are happening before the Justice League has had a majority of their adventures. Um, in this, uh, Kanjar Rowe, you guys remember him, we talked about him last episode actually, in the last story that we dealt with. Kanjar Rowe, um, this is how he escapes the planet that he was left on in the Justice League story with the rest of those warlords. And in the Justice League number 24, um, he was on Ran for some reason. This is how he got to Ran. So Kanjar Rowe escapes the planet that he's on with the rest of those warlords and makes his way to uh, another planetoid, that being Ran, and begins to bathe himself in radiation so that he can get powers enough to defeat the Justice League from Earth. While he's doing this, he's using a tool called the Gamma Gong, which those of you fans of the uh, Batman Brave and the Bold television series, the first episode has Kanjar Rowe and the Gamma Gong in it. It's a thing. Um, I just started they watching They led show. with that? Yeah, man. It was weird. It's a Blue Beetle <laughs> episode, too. It's nuts. Um, <laughs> and it's Jaime Reyes' Blue Beetle, too. So it's a whole lot of whole lot of stuff going on there. But it's a good show, and it, it was a good episode. So Kanjar Rowe is essentially enslaving the inhabitants of Ran with the Gamma Gong because it makes them either paralyzed or do what he tells them to do. It's very ambiguous what this thing does. And Adam is you know, battling this man, but of course his Zeta Beam radiation wears off and he has to go from Earth back to Ran and try and circumvent Kanjar Rowe's uh, powers and technology. So he gets Kanjar Rowe's cosmic viking ship thing sails it to earth then gets teleported back to ran to try and fight in the meantime the justice league finds that ship and they're like um is kanjar Rowe on earth didn't we imprison him on a planet somewhere in space so they go in space to find the rest of the warlords and the rest of the warlords are like yeah he left he, he bounced and betrayed our friendship like we thought he would be true to that as kanjar Rowe. A solemn um, oath of friendship, yeah, no a less. A solemn oath of friendship amongst warlords. The best kind of oath. Um, they go like, yeah, he's somewhere else. You gotta go find him. And they they end up tracking him to Ran, where Kanjar Rowe battles the Justice League and Adam Strange. They become aware of who Adam Strange is. And Flash has his moment where he's like, we should invite him to join the Justice League. And that's how that happens. However, in that storyline, Kanjar Rowe hits Adam with some sort of radiation beam, which immediately makes him susceptible to zeta beam radiation again <laughs> and he now must return to earth with zeta beam radiation and cannot stay on ran unlike in the previous issue where they're like it doesn't matter anymore you didn't get hit with radiation so that quickly got retconned immediately mystery in space number 76 june 1962 an alien challenges adam strange to see how he overcomes struggles so he can learn to better protect his own planet by learning how adam strange protects ran that's it Mystery in Space, number 77, <laughs> August 1962. These are the best summaries you're going to get, folks, honestly. I, this is yeah. this is like Golden Age Superman summaries that I'm doing here. Uh, Mystery in Space, number 77, August 1962. An alien makes a giant ray gun to fight bad guys on his planet, and he chases them to Ran. And uh, while he's on Ran, I guess he's like, if, if you want this planet, I guess I'll blow it up with this giant ray gun. 
um, the Ranians stop the gun, unknowing what the whole point of it is. And when they do that, the bad guys decide to invade Ran, and Adam has to trick them into leaving. Mystery in Space, number 78, September 1962. The bad guys from Mystery in Space, number 63, the ones with the vacuum guns, I had to look up which Mystery in Space they were from. They trick the Ranians with like this weird eclipse teleportation thing to going to a planet where a guy who basically mentally lives out your life via brain power ability things and then like leaves you a husk rules and they're like hey if we give you this planet full of people will you not conquer us and he's like sure i don't really have a preference of any of what happens to my husks so these bad guys trick the ranians into going to this planet the ranians beat him and then they get those guys to get put on that planet too so that they're trapped there because they can't beat them very complicated for no reason mystery in space number 79 november 1962 a creature that inhabits non-living matter tries to kill adam strange after like imprisoning alana in a sort of catatonic state in stone um adam tricks him tricks the creature into inhabiting a gun made out of coral which of apparently it can't get out of once it does that like it can't get it can't get out of things that are organic matter and coral is dead organic matter thanks science and because he's stuck in that gun and adam's like i could just break this gun and you die he's like please don't he's like all right fix my girlfriend he's like all right i'll tell you how to do it and adam wins via trickery once again mystery in space number 80 december 1962 a bad guy for mystery in space number 62 tries to get adam strange by attacking sardaf doesn't go very well sardaf by the way is alana's father so this guy essentially attacks Alana's dad while Adam and Alana are making out. The intermittently l- appearing egghead. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not joking that they are literally making out while her father gets attacked from behind. Um, that is an actual plot point. Mystery in Space, number 81, February 1963. Happy New Year, everyone. A bad guy makes a gun modified with Zeta Beam radiation to trick Adam Strange into thinking that Alana is on Earth while he attacks Ran. Um, the guy zaps a woman on earth who looks incredibly like alana into thinking that she is alana and then she kind of approaches adam strange and they start dating on earth and then he realizes that that's not alana and then goes to ran and stops the guy there's also some nonsense with a cloud creature that doesn't make a whole lot of sense it's very deus ex machina but suffice it to say the cloud creature helps adam defeat the guy on ran this is not an important story I'm just not going to get that deep into the complicated nature of the cloud creature, who he is, and the woman who then realizes that she's also not Alana. However, she slaps Adam Strange in the face and says, fresh, which I thought was very funny. Um, Mystery in Space, number 82, March 1963. Uh, A bad guy develops a giant magnifying glass. (laughs) This is so stupid. To take control (laughs) of Ran. The magnifying glass is like indestructible. It also like just focuses light rays to melt and blow things up. Uh, meanwhile, on Earth, a future scientist supervillain from the future guy, dude, time hopper, is assaulting Earth with future tech. And Adam essentially beats the guy on Ran, takes the magnifying glass with him to Earth, and then uses the magnifying glass to beat the guy from the future on Earth. And this is the first time he's really done some Earth daring do, but he kind of keeps himself secret, even though we kind of did that with like the tornado tyrant slash dust creature thing several mystery in spaces back but you know we're not going to talk about that uh, until later trust me 
Mystery in Space number 83, May 1963. A guy attacks Ran in order to get Ran to kill a giant, like, platinum-eating bird from space that's been attacking his planet. There's a pattern going on here in these stories that I'm going to get to that I find really problematic. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's just been bugging me the more I sit back and summarize these and talk about these. Mystery in Space number 84, June 1963. Dust creatures from Mystery in Space number 68. Hey, remember when I said we'd talk about these guys again? Like, two seconds ago? They attack Ran and Earth at the same time, and Adam must stop them. This is another one of those instances where it's like kind of a body count, not really, because he makes them inert and imprisons them in their own body. But he makes it sound like they're able to get out of it, unlike the energy creature from the first story we covered, where he's like, that's it forever, you're here. And these, like, it's very ambiguous as to whether or not these dust creatures will actually get out of this weird sort of inert state that they're in. Mystery in Space, number 85, August 1963. An ancient robot that shoots paralyzing beams out of its eyes attacks Ran, while Alana and Sardath's new metal alloy that they've just outfitted on all of Ran's everything just makes everything go wacky crazy. Um, and by wacky crazy, I mean, like, coffee machines are flying around and cars are driving themselves and stuff is just falling over in Sardath's laboratory. It makes absolutely no sense. It's the appliance revolt. Yeah, it's like everything is from the Brave Little Toaster and it's pissed. I don't know yeah. what's going on. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me, but the, but Adam's like, maybe you should just not have converted all the metal in Ranagar to this new alloy that you've created in a short amount of time. I don't know. Um, oh, and they beat the Iron Giant robot. It's cool. That was the most interesting part of that issue, was the was the giant robot guy that shoots paralyzing beams, and then it's like not even really the big deal in that story. Honestly, like for me, the bit with that one that worked so well was when she was telling the history of the robot, like the Hell legend yeah. around it. Because that yeah. was Carmine, Infantin Carmine Infantino's art was amazing. That's the thing that gets me is like I I had to double check all of these stories were Infantino, but that was the only time it felt like Infantino ass Infantino. Yeah. Like there's a bit where Alana's hair looks wet. She's in the rain. Have we seen wet and droopy hair? Like nope. it's got the like three panel passage of time uh, set up that he does so well in the flash. It's like, God damn, what happened? What changed? Why is this here and not everywhere else? And I love it. And I don't understand why it's not there everywhere else. He didn't have editorial oversight. You know, uh, yeah. it's, it's entirely possible. Uh, Mystery in Space number 86, September 1963. We're almost done, by the way, everyone. Adam blacks out after getting hit by an intercontinental ballistic missile that's near where the Zeta Beam is going to catch him. <laughs> and it's a dream issue. He has a dream that there's giants underneath the ice caps of Ran that are going to take over the planet. You know, the reverse of that Into the Woods song. Um, <laughs> wow, that was a deep cut. Sorry, everyone. Um, I grew up with that show. Yeah, there's a there's a... Uh, an aside in here that that's not really important to adam strange and alana but it's put in this omnibus for some reason strange adventures number 157 october 1963 is a story about adam and alana's child in the future and he's an adventurer himself it's it's literally just a one-shot story of their their son doing stuff and it it was not terribly thrilling it was just like it literally the only reason I knew he was their kid was a was an asterisk footnote Ooh. that was like it said like so and so strange. I can't even remember his first name, but his last name was strange and it had an asterisk next to his name and at the bottom of the panel. It said Adam Strange and Alana's child from in the future. 
And I was like, oh, is that the only relation that we have? And it's literally, a, the story has nothing to do with Adam and Alana. It never talks about his parents, really. He's just like, meh, stopping these bad guys. Mystery in Space, number 87, November 1963. In an attempt to block the Zeta radiation from beaming Adam back to Earth um, so that Adam can stay on Ran, Sardath and Ran run an ex... Uh, Sardath and Adam, sorry. Sardath and Adam run an experiment on him that essentially turns Adam into a super smart douchebag. Um, and when the radiation is turned off and he has to go back to Earth because the, ra- the Zeta Beam radiation affects him again, he goes back to normal. The final story we're covering, Mystery in Space, number 88, December 1963. A former bad guy turns himself into gas and decides he wants to help Adam by possessing robots nearby to help him with defending Ran, except he possesses a robot that turns him evil? Question mark? Okay. And then Adam beats him out of the robot. He's like, so sorry, dude. That robot may be evil, but I'm like totally cool now. And Adam's like, this seems logical. This this follows. <laughs> I'm, I'm not questioning this at all. And now he's got a gas science friend who's helping Sardath, I guess? Question mark again? Um... Here's the thing about these stories. <laughs> That's the end of our coverage, by the way. Uh, we did two years of Adam Strange comics in what had to have been 16 minutes just now. Um, there is a strange theme of people showing up to Ran and essentially press ganging the population of Ran into doing their dirty work for them. And I don't know where that motif comes from. What possible prior fiction that Gardner Fox has seen wherein that is a trope? But it's really strange that both bad guys and kind of sort of bad guys continue to get Rand to, to like, kill that platinum-eating bird. Or defeat this bad guy who sucks out your mind and turns you into a husk. It's very weird. And I gotta say, in the grand scheme of places being constantly under threat, in the DC universe. Ran has the shit end of the stick here. Like, Metropolis, Gotham, nuh-uh. Talk about your entire planet being teleported out of its orbit into a different location in the solar system. That has to wreak havoc on your tidal situation for any of your oceans or what your atmosphere looks like. It is nuts. The people of Ran are constantly getting teleported or shrunk or turned into shadow people due to an eclipse beam they've got giant handguns shooting at their towns there's always some sort of subterranean threat that is looming or someone from another planet constantly trying to dupe one guy who doesn't even (laughs) live here into conquering your your world and it's like very sad that like we've seen the ranian army before we know that they've got tanks and guns and all sorts of junk and like nukes and stuff but clearly they're not good enough that one dude is obviously all it needs, that planet needs to protect it. And I'm not talking like Superman level strength and power to be an actual threat. I'm talking a guy who is Indiana Jones in space. And I don't, I'm not mad at it. It's just very, it's very specific. And it's funny to me. Because it's it's trying so hard, and it's a guard. It's it's how Gardner Fox writes one hundred percent of the time. He always constantly writes 
everything is always important all the time. Don't question it. This is the most high stakes moment of this person's life. Even when Adam gives Alana her new outfit that she wears for one issue, and it's a great outfit, it's like the most important thing, and there's like a big reveal for it, and then it never comes back again. Or this bad guy from issue whatever is coming back again. It's like, yeah, but they're not really coming back. They're just being a nuisance this time around. Or the only the only couple bad guys that did come back and cause a problem indirectly were problems. The guy who attacked Sardath while Adam and Alana were making out was just attacking Sardath so he could get at Adam. The dust creature thing from like number 68 or 63 was like, I'm going to do like a two-pronged attack on Earth and Rand so that you're kind of split between worlds and you're kind of screwed. The people who are desperately trying to get rid of Adam Strange specifically so they can conquer Rand seem to have a very specific flaw in their plan, which is don't fight Adam Strange. Like, he's so good at everything. He is the Swiss Army scientist of all Swiss Army scientists. And it's amazing. (laughs) There's... There was a bit that you talked about at the beginning of that that I want to touch on a little bit because I do have a theory. Um, the fact that there's so many of these like two-staged villains uh, where the initial villain is like press-ganging uh, ran into handling some other problem. I think one of the things that's leading to that uh, is that it's a two major challenges kind of situation because a lot of the time with Gardner Fox's other stories or other uh, writers in the same period, like we're talking either a uh, like a three stage kind of thing uh, or it's everyone tries once and then fails. And then the team up is what does it Um, here we're cons- pretty consistently, it feels like, seeing two big challenges uh, per story. And I honestly can't tell whether that's just Gardner Fox figured out this is a solid for the for the intensity and cadence of action that I want to have, like two big bosses to deal with are is the thing that makes sense within this many pages. Or if it's something else, but it almost feels like the, oh, the real villain is behind the curtain situation is to some degree because of this like two challenge quota that they seem to be self-imposing. We often get the uh, like page and a half of villain monologue of here's what's really going on. Uh, where everything is explained via narrative boxes and we're not even looking at Adam Strange anymore. There's also a lot of, uh, remember this that happened last time yep. stuff. And it's it's fascinating how hard Gardner Fox is working to, re- to make you recall things. And I, we talk about this every time with him because he constantly does this. But he's the only one who does. It's, it's, obviously, it's very deliberate. Because he's he's doing something specific with each with each of these characters and bringing some aspect of them back, but it's not really like he's bringing something back. I mean, the one that he tries very hard with is obviously 
the dust creature. That's the one that is the most deliberate, like, I'm bringing this character back to do mm-hmm. this thing. The rest of them are kind of, I was here before and now I'm doing something else. It's never Batman level villain return character or flash level. And it's funny because he's got, you know, Adam Strange has so many foreign, you know, villains that he has fought. But Gardner Fox is choosing to make all these strange new things for him to fight. And I don't know why, because, hey, man, keep talking those keep talking about those guys who had the vacuum guns. I'm surely, you know, they have a, a, a reason to, to come back and fight. Rand. I mean, no group of people that are that are obviously conquerors, world conquerors are going to stop after one try. So I, I, I imagine they're going to try again. <laughs> One of the things I want to call out there is that the Dust Devil especially gets billing as like, oh, Adam Strange, Adam Strange's arch nemesis. Uh, like, like they're trying to make him the Joker uh, or something. Uh, yeah. And they don't really. Uh, but the way of looking at those references back that resonated with me was that it's for the purpose these these are references made not for the purposes of this plot but for the purposes of making it feel like a lived in universe it's your characters getting back to town in your D campaign and they see oh yeah there's that guy who we uh haggled with uh last session and he's just out there and we don't really interact with him at all. Uh, it's just he's there and we have that sense of place. Sense of place. That's the phrase I'm looking for there. These mm, mm-hmm. these exist almost as though they... It's almost as though these references only exist to make us feel like this is a universe that is recurring. Rather than using that recurrence to really do anything else. Yeah, they're callbacks, not returns. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's very fascinating to see what the difference is between the two. Mm-hmm. And I want to also call out, uh, we did we do talk about this more with Gardner Fox than with other people, but also, like, I think we mentioned this in one of the previous ones, like, he's ramped up. Like, something has changed. Because yeah. uh, the last uh, Justice League that we did, like doing a before and after the amount of these references increased a lot uh so i i don't know like i didn't look back and do that comparison versus earlier mystery in space issues but certainly gardner fox and maybe like the editorial line maybe we'll see that later on is doing these more as a matter of course and i wonder to what degree it is that Julius Schwartz is, I don't know, feeling his oats and deciding that now's the time to to build that universe. I am I'm also seeing more of Carmen Carmine Inventino flexing. I noticed a lot in these the intricacy of like the sci-fi. Yeah. You know, like the 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 weapons had details that were really intense on them, or the ships were really specifically drawn. Like there was a moment where they go they go into like a crashed a crashed spaceship, and there's like wires, and you could see like the rigging and and the bulkheads and stuff. And I was like, wow, that is something only he does right now. And I knew it was him specifically because there was that much detail. And a thing I'm just now realizing is. The sci-fi that he draws, and also just 
everything about it is so much less cartoony. Uh, yeah. And it stands out especially here, not with most things, but the aliens especially do not have like big, like almost anime eyes isn't quite the right word, but like those big old cartoon eyes. Uh, yeah. We would see those in like a Batman story in this point in time. Uh, I think right now Batman is going through a major like sci-fi era and is just about to start getting to like the the new look that leads into the tv show uh if we were reading batman stories it would be like oh here's this kind of wacky alien we don't have wacky aliens we don't honestly we don't have wacky in general uh yeah it's very strange to me these stories where infantino is not showing some of his like hallmarks that I'm so used to, uh, except for like the one story that we called out where uh, Alana just okay, like Infantino went to work and made this really cool set of panels. By and large, they're they're solid art, and and the panel layouts are more are dynamic. Like that hallmark of Infantino style is absolutely there. It's not just like grids, but it doesn't feel like the coolness of flash like there were there are things that he did when he was drawing flash that he is not doing here and i don't know why but on the whole there's no question the art in infantino himself is having a major impact in the way i consume these stories i definitely agree all right so i'm gonna start with something small because it yeah this one kind of leans transitions nicely between uh, the bit just then and what I'm going to go into uh, the Kenjar Rose story I get the importance of it and in terms of pulling Adam Strange and the timeline of the Justice League together yeah okay I'm on board there's importance there and it's not even a bad story in a lot of ways but it bugged me a lot that Kenjar Rose gets powers from the radiation of the sun and uh, first off, it's the power source, and it's that he gets like mirrors of all the league's powers. Like he gets uh, eye beams of some kind. Uh, it's not just the Superman power set of, or the superhero power set of super strength, super toughness, maybe flight. Uh, it is a bunch of things that are gimmick powers. Yeah, and especially ones that were like mirroring the league's powers. It felt a little more like a justice league issue. And that bugged me because it was so totally inconsistent with the other stories that at least felt like they were trying, they were trying very hard to feel grounded. I'm going to talk about that a little more, but I really wanted to call out that Kanjaro getting powers from the sun because Superman does that bugged me because Superman, I don't think it's fair to say that Superman did the heavy lifting at this point of really justifying like and explaining, okay, like here's how Superman gets these powers. But we have so much uniqueness associated with Superman and his powers and getting them from solar radiation from yellow suns that for this to be just like, oh, Kanjaro. It's not that Kanjaro is similarly special. It's it is described as just Superman gets powers this way. I must get them the same way is and even more if i'm in a trinary star system it's like yeah no you that is 
that is too flimsy of a justification. And that's the bit that I really want to dig into is conversely, so many of these other stories are grounded isn't the right word, but they make enough sense. What I want to call out that sort of exemplifies this is the title of the series is Mystery in Space. These aren't like true mysteries, but they're like uh, Sherlock Holmes mysteries, where if you're reading a Sherlock Holmes story, you're not ex- like you're not going to be able to look at the situation that uh, Conan Doyle describes and say, oh, I know what the solution is. But when Sherlock Holmes explains what the solution is, it feels, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And that's what we've got all the way through here. Like, it's especially the solutions that Adam Strange comes up with are justified, I guess is a reasonable way to put it, uh, or they work well enough. Uh, what tends to happen is it won't be like, oh, I have this idea, let me explain it, and then we'll have the fight and we'll go into the fight with the stakes very clear and like the plan of action clear. And then there might be some twists in there. What's more likely is I have an idea and it starts playing out and he explains it as it goes and then it resolves for good or ill. Uh, so you're not getting the like the true mystery thing of, oh, you can solve it alongside Adam Strange. But as it goes, it's like, yeah, OK, that works. Sometimes it just makes neat sense like uh adam strange versus the giant floating gun uh Mm -hmm. and everybody's trying to destroy it and it's like what's going on here uh we can't find like is there's nobody like holding this gun because it looks like a pistol let's be clear it's not like a cannon like that looks like a turret or something that you could imagine being like remotely controlled or something it's just there's a gun in the air and there's no hand shooting it uh and he's racking his brain and then he like goes to it and starts like uh getting onto the gun itself and explains there's a sight on it it has a gun sight and there's no one there to look down the sight this is probably where the like the sensitive like controls and like receivers are uh and so he works to get that thing off uh and then the gun is disabled uh these things where it's like yeah yeah good point you know that works uh here's this like giant bird that is uh chasing after alana and like it doesn't it as it's coming closer to her like uh something about its wing beats and then uh she's going progress she like blacks out okay yeah there's some vibration stuff going on okay like and then he's uh and then adam strange does something that blocks the vibrations or something uh i don't remember exactly how that one went but yeah just literally binding the wings and it's like okay that that took care of that problem hooray like these are stories that are satisfying when it comes to their explanations they're not like step by step solve it at home it's not a mystery in that score but it really is satisfying yeah oh you know what it is it's the end of every harry potter book where it's just oh everything came together like that and it works yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're not they're not Sherlock Holmes mysteries in the traditional sense of what you think a mystery is. It's more 
adventure game puzzle. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like a Tomb Raider <laughs> puzzle. You know, it's not it's nothing quite like clues and and fact checking and observations. And that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that and that and you know, those are types of mysteries. But it is this could easily be called, you know, adventures in space and not mystery in space. Mm-hmm. That being said, like I think adventure versus adventure comics versus action comics is a good comparison uh yeah. because these are these do not have like every panel action in the way that justice league does for instance like these are stories that give its challenges time to breathe and that makes such a difference for me yeah definitely in fact that actually feels very flash ish like I remember Flash stories taking the time, certainly more action than more action per page, like more combats per page than Adam Strange does. But still, like it's I remember Flash feeling like it wasn't rushed, whereas Justice League feels like, okay, we got to cram all this stuff in here here. It's really got the time for the tension to build, I guess. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that these have space and it's because they're the longer story they're also not i I wouldn't say they're they're they need to be that long they really don't but also at the same time they definitely benefit from it in the sense that i would compare these directly against um martian manhunter stories you know and when you're looking at how a story is structured around science fiction and some kind of mystery these ring more like green lantern to me than anything Mm -hmm. but they have the structure of flash comics in the sense that it is see fantastical thing that is now your checkoff gun yeah and with green lantern stories it was fly to new place see thing do stuff you know, it's it's they're all sci-fi. It's just at a certain point, there's going to be a thing that you're going to have to deal with. Whether or not the thing is the new location or the new item in question. Because Adam Strange doesn't use Ran specifically as a location so much as a plot device. Mm-hmm. The new exciting thing is always the antagonist. And like you said before, there is no real sense of place here. We know he's on Ran. But honestly, if it what we if they didn't keep saying ran, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. And they tried very hard in the first several issues to like name drop a mountain range and an ocean and a swamp and an island. And it was like that never took though. Cause you didn't keep going back there. You can't go there once and then expect me to remember that that's a thing, especially because it was supposed to be like two hundred miles from Ranagar. Yeah. You know, that's like saying like, oh, we're doing something in Dallas, but like now we're going to Milwaukee. You know, it's it's uh, OK. You're in the U.S. You're not in a particular state here. And with these comics, it's very interesting to see that the the draw is obviously supposed to be Adam, who is not getting fleshed out as a character. Yeah. He's just doing stuff. He's which just is fine. Pulp. Yeah, he's pulp. Beca- and, and it's fine because these are entertaining. Were these not entertaining, they'd be Martian Manhunter stories. Yes. And what sets this apart from Martian Manhunter stories is, like like you said, bringing it back, the length and the time to breathe. I don't think these stories need this much time to breathe because there's not enough 
in them, the one that had the most in it was the one that felt the least like an Adam Strange comic. Or, for example, the Justice League story. Yeah. That one had the most in it, the most meat, and it didn't feel like Adam Strange. The one that I liked the most that wasn't like that was the one with the ancient robot because of the Alana sequence where Mm -hmm. she was telling the story. Were we to have moments like that all the time instead of getting a villain monologue of here's how I got to the point where I'm hijacking your planet? Were we to have stories of like Alana and Adam going like, hey, well, when I was a kid, I used to ride horses on Earth. And that reminds me of how we can solve this problem here with these flying creatures. We'd start to learn things about Adam. Yeah, that's an interesting point. This is a situation where the characters are pretty much blank slates and all of the exposition is coming externally. Yeah. And we don't know anything about Alana and Sardath. Yeah. Like what their relationship is, how close they are as a family, where the hell his her mom is. Like, is she dead? Is she gone? Are they divorced? What's that? What's going on there? Like, I, I don't I don't need to know like how estranged they are, but like perhaps just drop the fact that her mom died at some point. Or I don't know, it's a plot point. This is the thing that killed my mom and now it's back. Oh my god, the stakes are so much higher now. I'm kind of a little surprised they haven't used that yeah. one yet. Because that yeah. feels like a Gardner Fox move. Oh yeah, totally. And for Adam, it's like, okay, but like, why does an archaeologist know all this? Now, as funny as it sounds, the four men who are really one character, the challengers of the unknown, all have more characterizations to them than Adam Strange does. Yes. Individually, each of those men has enough background and enough side gigs before they become the challengers that I know Ace is a pilot. Therefore, he has some characterization to make him a pilot. Rocky's a strongman type who fights a lot and and wrestles animals. So he's a rough and tumble, salt of the earth kind of guy. The professor slash doc is a skin diver, but also really smart. And Red is is like a thrill seeker. Okay, you've got your archetype. Adam is an academic, but he's also like good at fighting and science, like all kinds of science. And he's a gunfighter and like a warrior and a military tactician. It's like, where did you study? Went to and school I, at the my first D and D character. Uh, yeah, school of <laughs> yeah. multitasking. He's very much a like a Bethesda games character. He's just yes. he's good at everything. Yeah, he's good at everything, and it's fine. But it doesn't make for anything really compelling. You know, he's got stats in everything, and it, and it works. But he's very clearly metagaming. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, man. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. Like, we gonna learn anything about Adam? We don't talk about anything about him on Earth at all. Like, the most we get for a recurring character on Earth is the cop who keeps seeing him get hit by Zeta Beams. Which is a good recurring gag. Which is which is my favorite gag, because it's a guy going like, hey man, last time I saw you, you disappeared out of your car, and your car was left in the middle of the road, and we had no idea what happened. And the third time he sees him, he's like, park your car. Park your car. I don't know what your deal is. I don't know what's going to happen. Get your car out of the road, and sure as shit, he parks his car, and then he gets hit by a Zeta Beam again. And the guy and the cops like, I knew it. I don't know what's going on, but I knew that was going to happen. And I'm the smart one this time. And I'm like, you know what, man? You are. <laughs> You're the only person in this in this entire comic who has who has a handle on his situation. 
it's funny because I'm like, Adam isn't, you know, talking at symposiums, isn't doing archaeology. It seems like his entire time spent on Earth is figuring out how to get back to Ran. I guess that's fine, but also like, does he pay bills? Like we see him once in a in a museum in one of these issues, and I'm like, like they have to be mad they at seem him, to right? Almost be like setting him up there as like a maybe not a curator, but like, like a docent. I don't know, like kind of like the I'm the guy who has the stuff, and then now I can coast between like somehow in entirely off camera. Like it seems like he did a ton of serious archaeological work. It's just that it's nowhere on camera. Yeah, and and it's like, is he selling his discoveries? Is he writing Ooh. papers? <laughs> is he lecturing? And I feel like, I feel like there's no reason to hide Ran from Earth if they can't get there, and he doesn't explain to them how he goes to Ran. The danger that some Earth government is going to do something to Ran is minimized because he's the only one who knows how to get there. And I feel like being the only guy who knows anything about alien technology puts him in a very powerful position. However, there's also Kryptonian technology on Earth. So maybe Iranian technology isn't that impressive. I like I just there's a lot of questions at this point upon reading the comic for what has to be like four years now. Mm-hmm. And at some point you're going, okay, but like, who is this guy? You know, with with Superman, we know about the Kents. Um, sure. Uh, Hal Jordan, we don't know anything about really, like, we don't know, like, his favorite food or whatever, but we know he's got two brothers. One of them runs for public office all the time, and Hal helps out, so he's got tight, you know, family bonds, and he's got a best friend, and he's got the hots for his boss. But he's also a Green Lantern, and we're like, okay, you've got all this crap on Earth that we can make it, we can get a picture of who you are based off of these things that we know about your character, the kind of guy that you are. Adam is, his whole life is Rand, and it's starting to show how weak of a character he is because of that. All right. Uh, do you have anything further that you wanted to dive in on there, or shall I continue the laundry list? No, go, go ahead. Sorry. I know we, we kind of oh, went off okay. a weird tangent, but go ahead. That was that wasn't a tangent. That was all good stuff. Uh, here's a bit that's a little bit interesting. Um, sort of touching on the topic of makes enough sense. There are two other angles that I just want to briefly call out successes in, I guess, uh, because there's the science part of like the sci-fi, and it's generally at least like okay science. Like there's a bit where they talk about. Uh, if metal gets past like the Curie point of uh, temperature, it loses magnetism. And it's not, that's not, to my understanding, that's not a strictly correct statement, uh, but it is a scientific thing. Like if you get like iron above a certain temperature, then it's going to lose a lot of its magnetism. What my understanding is what happens is that rather than all of the electrons being uh, magnetically aligned like like if you put down uh, iron in a compass like even if it's not in the vicinity of like a strong magnetic field it's still going to point north uh, like if you got that compass up hot enough uh, the metal uh, the metal would not be magnetized as strongly uh, it reacts a lot less to magnets nearby so the fact that like Adam gets this 
thing that has a hugely like magnetic pull like he gets his gun super hot so that it will no longer be attracted to this magnetic cloud that's pulling him up uh kind of works i mean there's the downside that in order for iron to get past like the curie point it's i think over over like 500 degrees centigrade somewhere around there so yeah downsides but the science is at least like close enough uh, and the other thing that works is there is some decent internal logic with how the comic science works, how the rules of the things that it creates. Uh, yeah. The Zeta Beams, the Zeta Beams feel consistent. Like if you get zapped, it's going to pull you back. Uh, if you get zapped from somewhere, uh, it's going to put you back there. Uh even if like the even if ran isn't there anymore like if you get zapped to earth from ran and then it gets moved to a different place like it's okay you're going to get sent to where ran was at that point uh there's a bit where uh alana is uh turned into stone and she can be taken back on the Zeta Beam because it's only living things that he can't bring through the Zeta Beam. Uh, All these things that feel internally consistent. And when the rules of magic are maintained uh, story to story, instead of feeling like they're made up and kind of loopholed for the purposes of plot, uh, this is, it's not science, science fiction, but it's, fiction that is science eyes that is fiction that is systematized yeah and utterly unrelated but i still found this entertaining so uh one of the ads in one of the stories that we read was sort of a there there's a lot of reminders that hey dc comics is great like look at all the different things we've got going on and even beyond like the specific like Oh, go check out this ep- this issue of uh, Superman. You notice I stopped myself from saying episode uh, <laughs> where this thing happens or, hey, the giant size spectacular is happening this month. Uh, you also have just kind of DC hype squad kind of stuff. Uh, I think in part because we just passed uh, for Mystery in Space. Like this is right after the price of comics went from 10 cents to 12 cents so my guess is there's a little bit of remember we're awesome uh, oh that two cent difference it i mean going to 15 was what killed i think dell was the name of the publisher apparently uh Mm. but anyways um so this one specifically is it's the text is for the best in comics entertainment and then it's a bunch of different uh characters just little uh like the torso up shots uh, and it was interesting looking at it because certainly dominated by superheroes but not as much as i would have thought because it's 11 characters uh and one one of those characters is a duo uh there are five superheroes two characters from superhero comics you've got uh jimmy olsen and lois lane Two real-life comedians, because at this point, DC was publishing comics based on Jerry Lewis and Bob Hope, and I think some other folks as well. Uh, yeah. One that's co- uh, uh, characters from an existing IP. They're comics based on the Fox and Crow shorts from, I think, the 40s. Uh, and one that's a non-superhero DC-owned IP, uh, 
It's uh, Sugar and Spike uh, are the name of the characters. And I don't have any stats for what the current like range of offerings from DC are, but it certainly feels more diverse, especially now that uh, Vertigo has been closed. It feels like at this point, DC Comics has a little more of a diverse spread of types of stories than uh, you have these days. Hmm. But yeah, one way or another, it was especially the kinds of things like the fact that there are entire comics based on uh, comedians and that they were long running is the bit that gets me like <laughs> that is impressive. It, yeah. Yeah. Like a six six issue miniseries about Spider-Man teaming up with uh, Stephen Colbert. Like I could see that. But having that Stephen Colbert comic run for a year or more. Yeah, what could possibly be happening in Steven's life that we need to see? <laughs> so one thing that just bugged me, and this is, now I'm getting to the minutiae and it's entertaining. The particular sound effect that gets used when Sardath uh, gets like yoinked by the shadow creature uh, while Adam and Alana are making out, the sound effect that he says is... A-E-Y-Y-Y exclamation mark. And they're doing that like uh, staggered thing where uh, so it's clearly to show like, oh, I'm being hit. But man, it really is just A. Yeah, it's it's the Fonzie noise. Yep. So we talked a little bit at the beginning of the episode about how Adam Strange has a body count kind of and there's just kind of a more general it feels like there's death going on there is one death that does not happen on screen but it does uh alana finds her dog dead from eating a plant and it's we never see the dog but it's like she says oh my puppy and we see her face and she's like looking off camera and then we see a shot of her like kneeling over the dog and the dog is just inferred like we only see her from behind yeah Uh, but that was interesting like they very specifically said the dog died it's interesting because i'm gonna get to this in recommendations but we've been watching a lot of she-ra lately and Mm. it's interesting how many like cartoons very rarely do they say die like even if it's like a threat where someone is saying very explicitly i am going to kill you it's more often be like i'm gonna take you out or something destroy Uh, you yeah exactly exactly uh and we see a lot of that in these stories as well like i guess not these so much but like justice league stories uh it's that same kind of euphemisms but here it's very clear the dog dies does the dog die.com says yes. Do I want to know if that's a real website or did you just make that up as a joke? No, that's a legit website. And it's actually like it makes sense because it's I think it started as the dog, but also like covers a bunch of different categories now. Like there are people for whom it's a bad trigger to be watching a movie, and then suddenly there's a fat phobic joke. Stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh mm-hmm. so it's that kind of like uh, I think it's listed as emotional content warning. It's like you know what? That's a good term for it. I like it. That's fair enough, I guess. Uh, although I have to, I have to share this one because it's been on my phone for a while, and I have not closed the tab. I haven't looked too much into it, but I found the idea too fascinating not to. It's a fan wiki, like SCP, of 
fan created hurricanes just like stuff like hurricane uh hurricane adam uh came through in 2021 hit these points and did x amount of damage and it's just a wiki of this why it's i don't know it's just absolutely fascinating because it's not like the time it's not a list of like hurricanes that appear in other fiction it's literally just oh you know what? people are people are adding fake hurricanes to this wiki that they have thought up yes wow and i have to hope someone out there is doing like the the rigorous work of making sure that it all stays in continuity with itself it just oh surely we can't have that now can we i i mean i would love that <laughs> For level our fake i would love hurricanes. to see the people with that level of pedantic power but uh... just in general it's like on the one hand part of me is like why on the other hand part of me is like i mean it's like fanfic kind of i mean yeah but also about disasters yeah there's that as well it is literally called hypothetical hurricanes wiki oh my god <laughs> i think that might be my recommendation like i was gonna say that's she your recommendation that's I'm how we're starting recommendations it, but... as hypothetical hurricanes yeah. <laughs> it's you know what? Honestly, right, like then. that or the SCP stuff, like I should go through and read those. SCP stuff is, is fascinating. Um, I can't do it too late in the evening because it'll give me nightmares. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess we're now on recommendations. My recommendation, is, I literally just found this today. I want to say minutes before we started recording. It's called Backbone. Mm-hmm. And it's a video game. It's on Steam right now. Um, it is a pixel side-scrolling detective game Ooh. where all the characters are animal people so if you're a fan of the comic black sad um it's very much in the vein of black sad where it's like anthropomorphic human walking bipedal animal people um but it looks really interesting and i really like the music and the vibe of it it's set in like british columbia uh, i think vancouver specifically in like the late 80s early 90s um I like it a lot. It just seems really cool. There's multiple conversation options. You play a raccoon guy who's a detective. Um, and it's supposed to be the prologue to the actual game that comes out in 2020. Um, and the and the, the prologue is free. So that's neat if you're able to, to check that out. And uh, yeah, I've, I've liked it so far. And it's fun. And it's got a cool visual aesthetic and vibe as far as the music goes. It's just a... You know, we're detectives, and we occasionally have to recommend detective-type stuff. And uh, that's my recommendation today. Um, That is probably going to do it, unless you have any more notes. I think that's going to do it for us. Next is going to be The Atom. We'll be dealing with Ray Palmer and his white dwarf star matter belt that allows him to shrink. And see what he's been up to, and maybe do some Dr. Light stories and stuff like that. And then... uh, from there move to aquaman but we'll see you all next time dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes to stay in the know check out our facebook twitter and instagram after bidding the couple farewell with the zeta radiation wearing off of us we hoped we'd land in ivy town for some much needed time with the mighty might ray palmer alias the atom (laughs) 